often the market is so unpredictable that trying to time it is, to me, it's a fool's errand and I wouldn't do it. I'm talking about any of these changes that we are making in our portfolios. I'm doing them very gently. You know, maybe if I want to move 10% from one thing to the other, I do it 2% at a time over a few weeks. It's, all, it's like dollar cost averaging across. Sometimes I do rip the Band-Aid off, I'm going to be honest. But I like to kind of lean into it, get a feel for it, and not make quick decisions that feel like I'm trying to time some big thing like, well, stocks are overvalued, I'm going to sell all my stocks. I've never done that. And I don't think we ever will. Welcome back to Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Wallen. This is a show where we talk about building ambitious startups without sacrificing our freedom, our purpose, or our relationships, and where we realize that being a founder is about making hard decisions with incomplete information. Thanks so much for coming back and joining me again this week. In just a few hours after this episode goes live, MicroConf Remote 3.0 is starting where we do a focus on no code for SaaS founders, whether it's using no code to help with marketing or sales or any other application that a SaaS founder might think of. If you don't yet have your ticket, you can still register. And anything that you've missed, we are recording and you can obviously watch those videos. And if you're like me, you'll watch them back at 1.5 or 2x speed. And then you can catch the live stuff and all the interactions. We have an amazing hallway track, as always. We have figured out through the magic of producer Xander and tech that became popular during COVID, a way to kind of replicate the hallway track of a real microconf. So check it out, microconfremote.com if you haven't already. Today I'm going to be talking about a prescient topic given, I don't know, the, you know, the state of the economy and the state of, I guess, how monetary policy is impacting things. But today is about inflation for founders. And I like to kick all of these off by saying, look, this is not personal finance or investment advice. I often share what I am doing and how I'm thinking about it, but no one knows really where things are going. I believe that inflation is here. It appears that the numbers are showing we have higher inflation than we've had in 40 years is the headline, right? Now, I think that's a bit dramatic. I do think that that inflation is unnaturally high because of all the backups at the ports and you know a bunch of other factors that are in play. But one of the hard parts about inflation is that the more people think there will be inflation, the more likely it is to happen because then people essentially go out and spend money instead of keeping it because they think it will be worth less in the coming weeks or months. And the more people spend, the higher prices go up, the more demand there is for things. And if you can't get a specific good, for example, I went to order an iPad mini for one of my kids and the delay on the Apple site to get a uh, an iPad. This is for Christmas. It is over a month. Yeah, it's, it's almost six weeks, six, seven weeks, which is highly unusual, right? Yeah, I'm ordering a very standard color and a standard, you know, storage amount. And I wound up getting it on Amazon. And the wait is still, I believe, three weeks for that, which is, again, unusual. And it's just one signal of supply chain. I was actually at a tiny seed retreat last week in Arizona, and I went to order a medium cup of tea, basically. And she said, I'm going to have to give you a large because we can't get medium cups here or straws due to supply chain stuff. It's kind of crazy. And, you know, we'll survive. Things will be okay, you know, but we do have to realize that this is having an impact and it may continue to have an impact moving forward, right? This has been building for a little while in terms of inflation creeping up from two to three to four to six. And and obviously inflation can come from a lot, a lot of things, monetary policy, but also money creation. You know, if the government just prints a lot of money, we've seen countries without, you know, as strong of a central bank 
print themselves into hyperinflation, right, where they just devalue the currency to the point where it's not worth anything. And luckily, the U.S. has n- never gone down that road. But obviously, there's been a lot of printing of money during COVID to stimulate the economy. And I'm not going to get into the debate of whether it's right or wrong or whether, you know, who's making a good choice and who isn't in terms of our government, because this is not about politics. It's about the realities of if inflation continues at whatever, a 4 to 6% clip, how should we be thinking about both our personal finances and also a little bit about the business. Now, we're in a really unique position with SaaS in that our gross margins are so high, 85, 95%. That puts us in a great position to where we're not squeezed for this, you know, let's say a 10% margin. Like, you know, I have relatives who work in the construction industry and you go and you bid on this $10 million project to do all the electrical work or all the, the HVAC work. And you might have a million to $1.5 million in essentially net profit built into that job, which sounds like a lot, except for a $10 million construction project is really big. It's really hard to manage. It requires a lot of office staff. It requires a lot of, you know, electricians or HVAC workers. And there's a huge amount of risk, right? For, for that razor thin margin, there's a tremendous amount of risk that you're putting on the table. Similar, you know, if you run a grocery store, friend of mine's parents run a grocery store and the margins are paper thin. And in that kind of business, as inflation happens and the cost of your goods go up, you need to raise prices because with a five or 10% margin, you don't have room to just absorb that. In SaaS, we tend to have room to absorb that, right? That if the cost, if AWS has to raise costs because servers get a little more expensive or power gets a little more expensive and they raise prices on you, the odds of that having a huge impact on your business are pretty small because of this tremendous margin. The businesses that do well in inflationary times, and I'm not talking about public stock valuations, but just private businesses with a, with a profit and loss statement, the ones that survive and do well are the ones that do have the flexibility to raise prices if needed, or they have massive margins like SaaS to where they can just absorb a 5%, 10%, Increase. Imagine, let's say inflation is 6%. And if you're a SaaS founder, can you absorb a 6% increase in your costs and still make a complete boatload of money? You can because your net margins, you know, your your gross margins are whatever, 90%, and your net margins are 50 to 70%, depending on, you know, on your scale and all that. And so a 6% hit just doesn't make that much of a difference. Again, back to the example of a grocery store, if you had a 5% net margin or a 7% net margin you know, and, and costs are going up by 6%, like that's a real hit for you. So in terms of being a founder, there, there are worse things to be running than SaaS companies. But I'd also say that if for some reason you, know, you do find that your costs are going up tremendously, most SaaS audiences, at least the B2B SaaS that we talk about on this show, have some pricing flexibility, even if you have other competitors in the space. And some spaces, like you know, you start an email service provider and there's 300, 400, 500 competitors, you have less pricing flexibility. Although, if, of course, if you niche down, you, know, you can get that premium and be able to charge more. But in most spaces, needing to raise your, your rates by 5%, 10% over the course of the next year it's probably going to have almost zero impact. In fact, most of you probably should be, right? If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably haven't raised your prices frequently enough or raised them as high as they should be. I mean, that not that the start for the rest of us and the microconf mantra at almost every microconf someone says, 
raise your prices. So yeah, I don't feel like for the most part, SaaS is going to be hugely impacted. And, and, you know, the other thing is this inflation, you know, is also potentially caused by a lack of goods, right? And so demand is outstripping supply because of the, all the boats that are backed up at these ports. And my wife went to Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago and she said the stream of boats that were outside the ports were just incredible. You could see them lined up along the coast. We have the luxury of not being tied to a supply chain, usually. If you're software, you're reliant on maybe Amazon, SendGrid, Twilio. You know, there, there are definitely companies we rely on, but we usually aren't relying on a physical good being delivered somewhere in order for us to have a business. Unlike our friends in e-commerce, our friends in manufacturing, I mean, it would be a nightmare. I have a friend who runs a, a great business manufacturing games, and he said that the cost of a boat or a shipping container, I'm sorry, from China to the US went from X amount to 10X. It literally 10X over the course of a month or two while they were doing a Kickstarter. And that's obviously a real problem, right? It's a, it's a real headache. So all that to say, with SaaS, we do have the luxury of, of being able to roll with this and kind of watch how things unfold. Now, on the personal side, which of course is something I'm interested in, I think if you've listened to this podcast for long enough, you know I'm a personal finance and investing nerd. And I've just always been into it. I think I bought my first stock when I was 14 on my dad's account. And it's just fascinating to me the way that companies work and, you know, the economy and owning stocks and real estate and bonds and all that has always kind of made my mind bend. But there are some high level rules of kind of usuals. What, what are the usual things, the usual moves that you make as inflation increases? And so these are some things that I've been thinking about over the past couple of months about making some changes to, to, you know, our portfolio, mine and my wife's portfolio. So as inflation goes up, usually commodities are going to also go up in price, right? Because those are part of the inflation index. And I guess I should stop here and say, obviously, I'm talking about the US because it's what I'm familiar with. I think we realized in what, 2008, 2009, that like our economies are so tied together that when one collapses or when one has inflation, it's going to ripple throughout. That demand will spread, right? That's the, that's the effects of globalization for better or for worse. So even if you're not in the U.S., my guess is if we have inflation, you're going to start to see that trickling out. So anyways, I was talking about commodities and commodities increase in price because they're part of the consumer price index. Now, I don't own commodities except for metals and, you know, precious metals, right? Gold, silver, platinum. And I've never been a big gold bug, they call them, you know, someone who's, who's really into metals. But I have had a very small single digit percentage of our net worth in metals because it is a good portfolio diversifier. And when there's inflation, it, you know, it goes up. So there are ways you can physically own gold. You can, you know, buy it from websites and have it shipped to you. You can buy it and have it stored somewhere, or you can buy paper gold. There's ETFs that essentially will track gold, platinum, and, you know, other metals and such. So that is the only one that I personally own. I'm not really into commodities. Commodities have these really long bear and bull market cycles where you can go 20 years in a commodity bear market and it's just just awful. And so it's not something that I've experimented with. There are commodity index funds you can buy, but they use futures. They don't actually own the commodities. And so there's this drag on their earnings that makes them not something that I've invested in. So again, not financial advice to not do it. Um, obviously, you can look into it. But personally, we own some precious metals, mostly paper precious metals, and have not gotten into commodities. But a big thing during inflation is to own real property and have less cash, right? That's kind of the idea is that your cash is being devalued. And real property like 
real estate, whether it's a home or whether it is uh, commercial real estate, even owning REITs, which are real estate investments trusts, they're kind of like index funds in real estate, art, collectibles, stamps, you know, wine. I know some people who do that or owning bare land. These are real property and they tend to go up with inflation. Now, I did hear a podcast. I really like the podcast Money for the Rest of Us. And coincidentally named, hey, it came after Startups for the Rest of Us, but I've actually talked to the, you know, the host of that. And, and he, he's a really good dude. He was saying that he looked back over the, so several inflationary times and that real estate actually lost value in inflationary times, which was counterintuitive to what I have understood and I have been told. So I'm not sure, to be honest, what to do with that. I think the fact that we own our home and we own, you know, a chunk of REITs in our portfolio, I'm not going to be pulling, certainly not going to be pulling back on those, but I'm not going to be also, you know, leaning in and, and increasing exposure to those at this time. My gut says that I think REITs are probably going to do okay, but it's just, it's hard to know. We have been increasing our exposure to things like physical goods, right? Like collectibles. And the other one, which is is a new one, and 10 years ago wouldn't even have been, you know, a thought is, is crypto. I'm not sure any, there's no historical data on what crypto is going to do during inflationary times. But I have been a fan for years of having, again, a small single digit percentage of our portfolio in all these assets so that we don't have it all based on stocks and bonds, right? Having these small pockets of independence, as, as David Stein for Money for the Rest of Us says, I want these pockets of independence that don't just rely on public markets. And so my gut is that crypto, if inflation happens, people are going to be putting money into that. I think we're already seeing that. There's been quite a, a boom recently in crypto. And I can imagine if you're listening to this in six months, it'll, it, it'll be busting again, right? But that's another place that I think is feasibly a, a decent hedge against inflation. Here's another interesting thing to think about. When we bought this home, we didn't have jobs. It was after I left Drip and we couldn't get a home loan. So we paid cash for the house and we didn't have a mortgage. And A, rates got super, super low to the point where I don't like having cash tied up in real estate. And I never really wanted to own real estate again, but there was a whole conversation Matt Wensing and I had on Twitter Spaces the other day about owning versus renting and how I, I actually believe that renting is a better thing for entrepreneurs. I think that we don't factor in the costs of owning a home, all of the extraneous stuff. And in fact, I think we'd be better off keeping that money liquid and investing in ourselves and our businesses and other things than owning a home. And yet, two years after selling our home in Fresno, we bought a home in Minneapolis. And why, why did we do that? Well, I don't believe it's the best financial decision, but we were having trouble finding really nice homes to rent. We were having trouble finding homes that that fit our family and that then we could remodel or we could, you know, work on and make our own. And that was the trade-off for us. So while I am not, you know, a gung-ho proponent of, of owning homes from a pure financial perspective, I definitely have seen firsthand that it can be hard to, to meet your kind of own personal life goals if you don't own your home. Like if you want that feeling of not being able to be kicked out with 30 days notice, being able to paint, remodel and own it and being able to pick you know, whatever house you want, in essence, that you can afford rather than having to stick to certain areas, certain neighborhoods, or even just certain homes that happen to be for rent at that time. So for me, it's kind of the personal side and personal desires and happiness of the family versus a purely a financial decision. But all that said, so we, you know, we didn't have a mortgage on the house and we took one out, right? We, we borrowed money against a home that we owned fully, one, to get liquidity, because I hated having that, that money tied up, but I could be investing in 
anything else. All the stuff I have going on and I have it sitting in, you know, residential real estate is not exciting to me. And the other reason is because during inflationary times, if you take out a loan that you're going to pay back over 20, 30 years, you're paying that back in the future with inflated currency. And so the, if your money's worth X percent less each year and your house payment stays the same, you're actually paying less and less and less over time for that. So it's kind of an interesting hack that if you haven't thought about, it, is, it really is a benefit, I'll say, of inflation. There are a lot of drawbacks to inflation, but that is one of the benefits is if you're taking out a loan and the loan payment is fixed, that you're actually taking advantage of the other side of it. A couple final things. Obviously, I believe in having an emergency fund of cash that you can access quickly. And in inflationary times, that's, it's not ideal to have a big bucket of cash sitting around because that's going to deflate. But I keep it within reason, right? It's not like I'm going to go down to zero cash or something like that because that's just not a, a prudent financial decision. But I certainly, you know, we've decided to have less cash sitting around than maybe we would have six months or a year ago. I've often believed in having dry powder, having cash in an account to take advantage of opportunities that come along, whether it's, oh, this business is for sale or this amazing, you know, piece of art or this silver age, golden age comic book has come up. It only comes up once every few years and here's, it's expensive and, and cash is, you know, king and queen, basically. Cash allows people to move quickly and get things done. And so we tend to keep more cash than, than I think just an emergency fund, you know, would dictate so that we can take advantage of financial opportunities that come along. There's a big dip in crypto, there's a big dip in something else, and, and we can kind of swoop in and buy the dip, so to speak. And if you don't have any cash, you can't do that. But in these times, we definitely are keeping a little less. And then there's bonds. There's bonds and stocks, which I think I'm going to round us out with. Bonds are tough because bonds don't do well in inflationary times. And we do own some bonds. I own a lot less bonds than I think, you know, some advisors would have you do an 80-20 split. And for me, given as, as young as we are and our investment timeline is so far out, I cannot imagine, uh, you know, having 20% of our net worth tied up in bonds. But all that said, I am nearing, nearing the trigger to, uh, to basically sell most of our bonds. I haven't made up my mind on it yet. And I do need to look, it's December right now, and I need to look at if we sell do we have capital gains or do we have, you know, can we offset it with other losses or should we just wait another basically three weeks to get us to January 1, meaning that we won't have that gain until the following April, right? So by the, by the 16 months before we have to pay any tax on that. So I'm noodling on it. I know there are some folks who, you know, I've talked to and have written in saying, absolutely, I'm basically liquidating all my bonds because I believe inflation is going to do this and get worse. And then I, I've honestly talked to a few friends who I think are pretty smart who have said, no, I'm not selling my bonds and here's why. And so I'm on the fence on it still, but definitely thinking about it. And that's something that, you know, you may want to uh, research yourself. And then lastly, on the stock front, certainly, you know, dividend stocks and stocks that, you know, can raise prices that do have pricing power, those companies tend to do well during inflationary times. And what's a trip is that growth stocks do not, right? Growth stocks are tech stocks where they're probably not generating as much cash or net profit today as they are betting on. They're priced for future earnings. They're priced, you know, at 50 or 100x earnings when realistically maybe the stock market is priced, you know, on average at what 5, 10 times earnings. And it depends on the type of stock and all that. But like, you know, if something's priced at 50 or 100x earnings, people are saying, "Oh, this in the future this company's going to get really big." Like when Facebook first went public, their valuation was astronomical and people were betting that Facebook would grow into that valuation. Well, that's not great when inflation is happening because those companies are betting on future profits. 
right? Future revenue, future profits. And so growth stocks tend to get hit because of kind of the sell-off as people move to stocks that are paying dividends or stocks that have large profit pools today, because today's money is worth more than tomorrow's or next year's money. And so this is, for me, our, our portfolio is not the majority in public stocks. And we don't own individual stocks, right? We own a lot of index funds and we are balanced pretty far across, you know, all the metrics that you could imagine, right? In terms of the U.S. markets and non-U.S. markets, emerging markets and established ones. And there's growth and there's value and we have a slight bent towards value. But realistically, I am not personally going to be messing with our stock allocations because we don't have a bunch of fiddly bits in our uh, stock portfolio. If you do and you have growth stocks individually and you have some you know, dividend and just kind of revenue generating stocks, it's probably time to at least think about it, you know, about maybe making an adjustment. Now, here's the thing. This is not timing the market. And I don't believe that we can time the market. I don't believe I'm smart enough to time the market because you have to be right twice, right? You have to be right when you sell and you have to be right when you buy. Otherwise, you miss it. And often the market is so unpredictable that trying to time it is, to me, it's a fool's errand and I wouldn't do it. I'm talking about any of these changes that we are making in our portfolios. I'm doing them very gently. It's moving assets from here to there. Maybe if it's moving a chunk of them, you know, maybe if I want to move 10% from one thing to the other, I do it 2% at a time over a few weeks. It's, all, it's like dollar cost averaging across. Sometimes I do rip the Band-Aid off, I'm going to be honest. But I like to kind of lean into it, get a feel for it, and not make quick decisions that feel like I'm trying to time some big thing like, well, I, stocks are overvalued, I'm going to sell all my stocks. I've never done that. And I don't think we ever will. Even in 2008, 2009, we sold some because it got a little scary, which was a mistake because we should have wrote it down and wrote it back up, you know, but I think a lot of people did, did the same thing. But I don't believe in market timing and I don't believe in selling all your, your stocks and buying all commodities and gold and real estate and crypto. Like that to me is you've under diversified yourself for the case where the stock market, especially in the, in the U.S., but everywhere, has just continued to increase in value for years and years and years. I know a person who said the market's way for value, and this was like five years ago, sold all their stock and they're, they're waiting for the downturn. Well, they've missed out on tremendous amounts of money, tremendous amounts of portfolio growth. Anyways, that's my take on it. I believe that, as James Altucher says, there are three skills in terms of money. There's making money, there's keeping money, and there's growing money, right? And making money is you're working your salary job or you have companies, businesses that are generating money or you sell them and you make big buckets of money. Keeping money is then not pissing that money away, not making stupid decisions, buying penny stocks, betting it all on something that goes to zero or just wasting it on Lamborghinis and, you know, and, and expensive bottles of champagne. And then growing money is how to guard that asset that you've created. You sell your company for millions of dollars. You don't put it in cash. You don't put it under a mattress because inflation will kill that fortune that you've created. So how do you grow money sensibly while protecting the principal? And that's really what I'm talking about here is not making these big bets. I'm talking about inflation for founders and obviously a little bit of personal finance and, and investing stuff. But what I'm not talking about is speculation. I can talk about speculation all day. I mean, if you want to talk to me about betting on crypto and betting on collectibles and uh, you know betting on high-risk things, I, I'm into that and I actually really enjoy it. But that's not what I'm talking about here today. I'm talking about being sensible and making sensible adjustments as inflation and other economic changes occur. And I hope my discussion of it today maybe has given you some thoughts or ideas, whether you want to stay the course 
or whether you want to make some small adjustments, you know, as, as things move forward. I got good feedback on the Investing for Founders episode I did a couple months ago. And given the fact that I just got back from a tiny seed retreat and it's basically three days before the episode goes live, I knew I was doing a solo episode because I couldn't get someone to record with me over a weekend. And this idea of inflation and just given how much I'm hearing about it, both in the news and in the podcasts I listen to, I felt like I wanted to lay down some thoughts. So thank you so much again for joining me this week. I really appreciate you coming back every week. If you're not subscribed, obviously hit that subscribe button. And as a reminder, MicroConf Remote 3.0 started this morning, but if you head to microconfremote.com, you can still get tickets and we'll have the videos recorded that you can listen to and then you can do you know the live attendance and be part of the hallway track. So thanks again for joining me this week and I'll be back in your ears again next Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm.